Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. Today we are going to be talking about our shadows. And we want to say up front that the shadow is a huge topic. So we are just going to be dipping our toes in and waiting in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we want to really focus on the kind of everyday ways that our shadow might kind of sneak up on us. Not so much the super dark, dramatic ways that we might think about our shadows when we hear that word, but really focusing on the mundane ways that the shadow can show up and the untapped gold and creative potential in our shadows and talking about the concept of our bright shadow or our golden shadow. I think it's also important to say up front because the conversation around shadow can feel scary. Just that word can sound scary, like, "Uh uh-oh, what's lurking in the shadows? And it's a big reason why, especially people who find their way here, highly sensitive people, are often afraid of turning inward and doing deep work, even though there's already a lot of natural inwardness in this personality type, is because they're afraid of what they're going to find. And what we want to impart up front is that when you turn to face your shadow, it's never as scary as you think it is. That so much of the power comes from our refusal to look at it. And In fact, it's also important to know that when we start to relate to our shadow, and by relating to it, I mean simply to name it, become more familiar with it, that not only do we realize that it's not as scary as we had feared, but we also realize that it is the carrier of immense positive power. So it's like, The example that I've often given around um, our fears, our intrusive thoughts, our projections, they have a loud bark and the more power we give them sort of indirectly, the louder they become. But then when we pull back the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz, we realize, oh, it's just, it's just a scared little man. It's just a scared part of ourselves. It's just really all shadow is, is a young self that we stuffed away into the long black shadow bag, as Robert Bly refers to our shadow, that we learned to stuff away some some part that we learned, we got some implicit or explicit message was unacceptable. And so we stuffed it away when we could have been one years old or two or three, really young often, or you know, all the way up into teenage years, into 20s, we can... But it usually happens in those earlier years where we get a message, we see a look on someone's face, uh uh-oh, not okay, stuff it down. And so when we turn to look back into that shadow bag, what we see are all these little scared parts that um, might seem scary in the abstract, but really just need our love and our attention. Yeah, Cheryl, it's funny. I was thinking about our episode on escape hatch fantasies and how I told the story about sitting on my couch one night recently and there was something casting a shadow on the wall in my living room and I I picked my hand up and it looked giant. Like my hand looked giant on the wall, Mm -hmm. literally the shadow of my hand. And I was just thinking in preparing for this episode how if I had stood up and walked towards the wall, that shadow of my hand would have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm. Mm. And that is just a helpful image to me that there's there's that literal image of when you see that shadow on the wall that if you walk towards it, it actually gets smaller. It's not that it's not there, but it gets smaller. Yes. Yes, I love that. It comes down into right size, Mm -hmm. not into this huge amplified projected size, but it comes down into right size. And all it really takes is our willingness to turn around and walk toward it. And so um, 
the very basic definition of shadow is whatever we think is unacceptable. And that can be both negative, what we think of as negative, and positive. And the term shadow, like so many of the terms that have been incorporated into our mainstream conversations and lexicon, um, came from Carl Jung, the Swiss psychoanalyst, um, whose work I was trained in all those many decades ago. And so he coined this term shadow to talk about um, the parts that we might not want to become aware of, that we are ashamed of, that are hard to admit to. Um, and again, Victoria and I felt pretty strongly that we needed to underscore, and this really came from you, Victoria, that this doesn't mean in a big, scary way, like some deep, dark, secret part of you. It's much more benign than that. And in fact, I think that there can be some play and some fun in admitting to shadow and kind of like sheepishly going, oh, right. Yeah, I do. I do have that part of me. Oh my gosh, there it is. And and sort of the, the relief and for me, the aha moment when something comes out of shadow and I see it more clearly, um, that there's some almost joy in that experience because ultimately the work from a Jungian perspective, and I think from many paradigms, is about moving toward more and more wholeness. And so when we get into relationship with these parts that have been hidden, that we've squashed down for so long, we are moving toward more integration, right? We are relating to these other parts of ourself that then lead to more wholeness. And so much of it comes from shame. And Victoria and I were talking earlier about how a lot of what we do on this podcast is in a sense shadow work because it's bringing, it's bringing to the table, highlighting in our conversations with each other, parts of ourselves, parts that we hear in other people that we come into contact with that we have deemed as shameful. I shouldn't be jealous. I shouldn't feel so deeply around change and loss and the passage of time. I shouldn't struggle to drop down into my body. What's wrong with me? And so we're, 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 we're raising up these areas so that they don't have to live in shame, right? And I love the way Brené Brown talks about shame as it, it grows and it festers in silence and darkness and solitude. And once we name it and we bring it out into the conversation and you all listening have that experience of, oh, it's not just me, then so many layers of shame fall away and then we can be in relationship to the thing itself, to the shadow character. Yeah, I really think of it as accepting our humanity, accepting that we are human. Yes. We wanted to list up front some of the common ways, both negative and positive, that shadow can show up just so that you can start to think about how does this show up for you? Because shadow can be this really amorphous term. Shadow is shadowy. Mm -hmm. I I find it I find it hard to to grasp hold of shadow, even though we can we can share a very simple definition of whatever we've deemed unacceptable. It's like, but when it comes to the tangible, what does that really mean? And so I think it's good to name, and this is just some things, this is not the totality of what do you try to push down and, and ignore? Um, and here are some examples. Anger, jealousy, struggling in relationships, envy, arrogance, vanity, selfishness, sexuality, success, beauty, 
creativity, confidence, strength, or competence. Yeah. And I also heard a great TEDx talk by Dr. Steve Mortensen where he talked about unmet needs being in the shadow that are related Mm -hmm. to a lot of those different feelings or experiences that we also might kind of have in our shadow. Um, And some of those needs might be a need for help or a need for rest, need for connection or need for play. Yes. I'd love to hear about how how shadow shows up for you, Victoria. I've heard different people say that because shadow is something that might be at the edge of our awareness, kind of in our periphery, it's something that we don't want to see about ourselves, that mm-hmm. it's important to pay attention to, you know, feedback that you get from your partner or from a friend that maybe has said, hey, you know, it kind of hurts my feelings when you do this thing. And Mm. do you have this gut reaction of like, I don't do that. No, Mm -hmm. what do you, that's not me. But you kind of know like, yeah, I do do that. (laughs) Um, Mm. And also to pay attention to the people that you judge the most, the people that you have a really kind of big reaction to because Mm -hmm. that person is so selfish or so judgmental or whatever it might be, is it possible that you're projecting a bit onto that person? So in kind of paying attention to those things in my everyday life, Hmm. something that I noticed when Martin and I moved in together, there were some bumpy, (laughs) some bumpy roads to Mm -hmm. in that process. I would get so angry and critical and blaming about housework and chores, but specifically like dishes and cleaning up in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And if Martin cooked and made a big mess and then didn't clean it up, I would really kind of lash out. And I felt very justified in the moment. And when he and I would talk about it or argue about it, Mm -hmm. I would be very staunch about how right and justified I was and how wrong he was and how he was being so irresponsible and so inconsiderate. Mm. But then when I would kind of quietly reflect on, wow, that was a really inappropriate reaction, the way that I dealt with it and very outsized and kind of destructive, like not, not a very productive or kind way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. There, there was a, a seed of okay yeah maybe he needed to clean up a little bit more but did I have to lash out like that <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think around housework like maybe other people can relate there can sometimes be this shame factor of you know I don't want people to see my house messy mm-hmm. um, so there's this shame piece and you and I talked about this for perennials last spring I did this like spring cleaning episode and then Mm -hmm. I did this reparenting episode and we talked about my feelings of inadequacy around cooking and cleaning and like keeping a home. (laughs) So I think it would just tap into my own. Like that was me projecting like, Martin, you're not being responsible. You don't, you're not doing a good enough job. That's exactly how I was feeling about myself. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I reflected and I realized like I was really having that reaction when I wasn't taking responsibility for myself, when I was really wanting him to take care of me, Mm -hmm. when I was struggling with my own sense of incompetence, (laughs) Mm. when I wanted to control things. So just noticing all of that and recognizing okay, what, what, if I'm being really, truly self-aware, I am recognizing the parts of myself that are not so attractive that I don't want to recognize. Mm. But I'm also seeing some unmet needs and I'm seeing 
an invitation to be more empowered. So by being honest with myself about, is this really all his fault? Is this really 100% on him? (laughs) By being honest, I was able to see, okay, so some of it is that I have some I have to take more responsibility for taking care of myself and not put that on him. I have to make sure that I am trusting in my own competence and taking responsibility. And then some of that is some some needs, like the need to ask for help, to say, you know what, I can't do all of this. Can we, can you help me? Or, you know, I think I'm having this reaction because I really need more rest or I, and I need more play. Mm. Um, and then saying, can we be a team and can I step into more of my competence and responsibility and kindness? And that's been, I think, a really important process because it's very easy for me sometimes to put my blinders on and just try to say, I'm right. I'm justified. Here's why doing verbal gymnastics and mental gymnastics to justify. Um, But when you just let it drop and go, I'm sorry, that was inappropriate. That's not Mm. how I should talk to you. That's not how I should Mm. have handled that. How how could I do it differently? I think that's integrating the shadow. Yeah. And if you were to name this part of you, as a shadow character, what do you think it would distill down to? What is this shadowy part that comes out? The first word that comes to my mind is victim. Mm. The victim. Mm, so good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The victim. Yes. So being able to name this character, oh, there's the victim that comes out as, not as a victim, comes out as the righteous, justified, I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, but also, like you said in the very beginning about the shadow, like there's some little child or young part, it's underneath the the anger and the wrath and the righteousness is this like fear and desire to be taken care of. Yes. And the golden shadow part is like, no, actually I am a competent person. I can I can learn things and practice and I can also decide what matters to me and what doesn't. <laughs> I can decide I don't need to be a perfectionist. Um, But those those parts of me are also kind of – I've been slowly reintegrating, I think. Yes. So good. Okay. I have a shadow story. Yes. I'm so excited because I don't know what it's (laughs) going to be. Sometimes we know in advance, but I don't know this time. And – If I feel too vulnerable, we can edit it out, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Um, And you can keep this part too about me asking if we can edit it out. (laughs) Because this is also shadowy, like, oh. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I had an encounter with my shadow a few days ago. I was – it's been up because we've known we were going to do this episode. And as often, it came in through a side door. I was lying down a few nights ago. Um, Dave and Everest were out of town, and it was just Asher and I, which we've never had that many days, just me and Asher, ever, in our entire almost 13 years together. And it was really special. I was really looking forward to it. Asher loves... um, he loves media. He loves television. He loves movies. Um, we limit it a lot. So it's very special when we do go into those territories. He, he does a lot more of that with Dave. But as a lot of you know, I'm not much of a mainstream person. I'm not much of a screens person. I never really know like 
what the latest Netflix show is or what the latest music is. I'm, I'm pretty out of the mainstream in that way. But he and I wanted to find a show to watch together. It was actually my friend Jessica who was like, you guys should find a show. She and her daughter watch Gilmore Girls. And, and all my friends have a show with their kids and I haven't. And so there's this first layer of shadow I started to see, which is my attachment to this purity. This is how purity shows up for me. Mm. Um, the purity around media, around screens. And I have a pretty purist mindset. Screens are for work and creativity, and they can be used for such good and connection, but um, like they're not they're not to indulge and just relax and hang out and you know get hooked into Netflix and all these things. And of course, we can go down a screen rabbit hole, but I definitely have some purity around it, like I have had around food. And I know where that comes from. Um, and so Jessica said this and I was like, oh, we do need a show. And I noticed that I was more willing to go there with Asher, with Dave and Everest away because I wasn't going to be observed. It was like, there's my shadow, mm -hmm. right? There it is. It kept showing up. Um, and so Asher and I talked, and I said to Asher, do you want to find a show? And he was so excited and it made me so happy. And I was like, gosh, what is like, like, I don't know, the strict part of me that's, that is, is kind of really a bummer um, that I haven't let go a lot in these ways with my kids. And he was so excited and I had a couple suggestions and then he was like, how about America's Got Talent? And I was like, yes, that's so fun. Um, I have never actually seen America's Got Talent. Like I've seen snippets, like people have sent, you should got to watch this audition. Um, but I've never watched the whole thing and figured out how to, we don't even have a television in our house. So if we want to watch anything, and I, even as I say that, I can hear my shadow. Like, ha, huh, we don't even have a television. <laughs> Aren't we so great? <laughs> it's it's my straight A student. It's like, mm. this is how it still shows up for me. Um, and it's so, even as I say it now, it's like how much energy it takes to maintain that level of perfection and purity. It's really quite exhausting. And I've let go of so much of that over the years, but I have not let go of this one. And luckily for me, Asher has been a great teacher, especially around food, because he has a huge voice. He has a huge opinion. And for the last many years, he has said to me, you're so controlling. Mm. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess I better let go. Um, <laughs> And he's like, all that's going to do is the second we get out of the house, all we're going to do is eat tons and tons of sugar. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're right. Oh, my God. That's exactly what's going to happen. I better mellow out. And so I really have the last few years. And it's it's still like, mm, it's still a rub for me. But anyway, we got it all ready, figured out how to stream it sat down and had so much fun watching America's Got Talent. And we watched it the whole time they were gone. We watched the first, well, it's season 16. So we've already missed the whole season, but whatever. Um, we started from the beginning and we just had, we just snuggled up in bed and watched it the first night. And then we watched the second um, episode, the second night. And I think we're like in the middle of the third episode now. And, and now I sort of have to figure out how, okay, when are we going to keep what? Now I'm hooked. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I was crying. I was let that show. It was so emotional. And there was so much heart and so much goodness. And, and I was just, so I was just lying down like on the third night, just thinking how much I miss because of this very judgmental part of me. Um, that keeps myself separate, that keeps me on the mountain, holier than thou, 
I do not deign to join in. Um, and yet, gosh, what a fun thing to join in. Mm. So as I was lying there and I'm like synapses going off, seeing this part of me and a lot of other ways that it actually shows up. Um, I won't go into all of them now, but but I became deeply curious. Once I see a shadow, I'm like, oh, wow, that's that shows up in all of these different ways and how much that limits me and holds me back. Um, and I just turned my head and said, oh, hello, shadow, and sort of started to engage imaginally, like with this part of me, um, this very rigid, perfectionistic part of me, what the fears might be, like the loss of control or not having enough limits and falling into some abyss of addiction or something like in the worst case scenario. Not that I fear that so much for myself, but also um, yeah, there's so much wrapped up in it about productivity and worthiness and good use of time. Um, and I don't think very much of that as healthy. I think that there's some healthy strain in there, but I think the vast majority of it is learned, inherited rigidity and perfectionism that does not serve me or anybody close to me. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I just think that is – I know everyone listening is going to be like, yes, I relate to that. Maybe not with that specific thing, mm-hmm. but it takes so much courage to be willing to see it, to admit it, to be curious. And something that you said when you said you realized you weren't going to be observed – Mm-hmm. So you felt more open. I think that hits the nail on the head because I read, I think it was Richard Rohr. Um, I'll link to this article about shadow that he wrote. He said some something like the shadow is, it's like really about how you want to be seen, like your persona. Mm-hmm. It's like I yes. don't want to be seen as this. Yes. And anything that kind of threatens that persona – can really get our hackles up and our defenses up. Like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I think it just has so much to do with our identity. Like, I am this type of person. I am not this type of person. Yes. And how wild that I would be upholding a persona in front of my husband Mm -hmm. and my son, Mm -hmm. my other son, who not only couldn't care less (laughs) if I watch TV, but would love it. Like, would love for me to loosen up a little and just kind of join the rest of the crowd Mm. and not hold myself up and high and separate. But I guess that's, that's part of, that's the whole thing, even though, I mean, it's so fascinating how shadow, how shadow can exist even in the closest of relationships. Yeah. And of course it would, right? Of course it would show up. But it's just fascinating to me that I'm still expending energy to control a perception of me Mm. for people that I've known for decades. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. We do it because those relationships matter to us. And if you're like, I want to be the best mother I can be, what would the best mother do? She would do this or she wouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the irony is that it's actually the opposite. From their perception, they're like, just let it hang out once in a while, mom. Like, just like chill out. Right. (laughs) No, I relate to that so much with when I think about just different things with me and Martin. Like, it's just always I can feel myself kind of integrating the parts of me more when we can laugh a little bit more. And I can – it's always just when I can poke fun at myself and acknowledge to him, I see what I'm doing too and I'm going to poke fun at it. I actually – the other night, I was getting a little bit cranky and I could feel it. And so I decided (laughs) – I Martin called me on his way home from work and I said, I'm feeling cranky. When you get home, 
I don't want you to ask me questions I don't want you to ask. I do want you to ask me questions I want you to ask, and I don't want to tell you which are which. (laughs) And we just, he was like, oh, okay, I got it. And we just like laughed at the absurdity. So good. (laughs) And then when I could just kind of point, like, see it for what it was and point out the absurdity of it. It just loosened a bit. And actually, Cheryl, you had a great, you had a great suggestion. You said, what if we both try when we were talking about doing this episode, you were like, what if we both try doing a little shadow ritual? Because I said, I noticed it come out with Martin more. Like when Martin gets home from work and it's that dinner time and uh, I'm, coming out of my work day where I have been nice and pleasing and cooperative and hopefully disciplined. And, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I've been fully in that like persona mode all day. And then Martin comes home and it's like, oh, cool. The mask can drop. Mm. That's the moment where I might get critical or I might get snippy or I might get sullen because I've all day I've been – I've been like pushing the shadow aside and Mm -hmm. part of it for me, I think it's not just the ritual because I think part of it is also finding ways to healthfully, healthily integrate the, the golden shadow. So, you know, finding, finding times in the workday when actually I, I'm going to say no to this (laughs) respectfully and politely. I'm going to not raise my hand for that thing or I'm not going to try to fix or control something that is not mine to fix or control. You know, mm. I'm going to get some of those needs met or I'm going to live into my more of my confidence, more of my assertiveness, more of my competence, more of my my healthy way of saying no. Yeah. But then there's also like the ritual Yeah, you suggested what about a ritual at the end of the workday when you're coming out of that like full persona mode so you can kind of get ahead of the the mask dropping moment. Yes, because it's so linked. The conversation around shadow is so linked to persona. And so we do have these personas. Some of these are necessary personas so that we can function and exist in society. And sort of we have this this work persona, these aspects of ourselves that show up in different places. And when we were talking about the the post-work, end-of-workday shadow ritual, you were talking about the ways that you show up at work, you know, and polite and disciplined and all nice and all these ways and and over-yesing, right, people-pleasing. And so there's the gold and there's the opportunity of, how can I say no and set more boundaries and not raise my hand? And for me, it's showing up in this very particular way with clients where I am in service, where I am a vessel, where I am a hundred percent listening to them, listening for all of the multiple layers of top layer story and under layer, unconscious body expression, wound, helping people drop in. And this is, this is my work and it's what I love, love. And it's such a privilege, but it's a very particular way of being. None of it is false. Persona is not false. They're just, it's different parts that show up. The way I show up for my clients is different than how I show up here, how I show up with my friends, how I show up with my kids, with my husband, right? There's just different aspects of ourselves. They're all, they're all true. They're all real. But what it is for me to show up in that way, it's an intense role. And so I was imagining at the end of the day, before transition, before going into the house, as a transitional ritual to light a candle, to put on music, to shake it out, to dance, to kind of just let let some other part of me release and come out. Um, and then it, it does bring to mind, it brings to mind 
How can we express other parts of ourselves? How can we channel these shadow characters in healthy ways? Um, and we both read, I reread Robert Johnson's book, Owning Your Own Shadow. And he talks about how we have lost a lot of these ways because um, a lot of it showed up in culture and religion. If you think about Shakespeare's plays and how they were performed for everyone, theater wasn't only for a select few back then. It was for the people, it was with the people, and it was a way to engage with shadow, to witness murders and duplicitous plots and affairs, but not have to act them out. And I'm not saying that nobody acted out those things back then because they absolutely did, but maybe they didn't agonize as much about having a fantasy about having an affair, for example, or intrusive thoughts to the same degree that we do now. And so there's Robert Johnson talks so much about the balancing that has to happen, that when we are too much in one part of ourselves, let's say for me, like the pure purity judgmental, it's going to show up somewhere else. Right. Um, that we, when we fail to honor the shadow, it comes, it does come out and it comes out sometimes as nightmares and sometimes as intrusive thoughts. Um, but we are, we are so out of balance now. We don't, we've lost these collective ways of expressing these characters that do live inside of us. Right. And so I, I was thinking about the Jewish holiday of Purim, which is next week. Um, and it's, a festival of masks. It's where we tell the story of Purim, which is about this evil prime minister, Haman, who has this devious plot to kill all the Jews. And um, as part of the celebration, we are asked to dress up and wear masks and sort of let all the rules hang out. It's a day where people drink a lot of alcohol um, and there's like parades and you can dress up as queens and you can dress up as Haman as the evil character. And as I was telling my own shadow story, I had this image of dressing up like a queen. Like it's this sort of like queenly, not in necessarily a positive queen, but in this sort of queenly part of me that, that revels in some way in holding myself mm. apart and above. Mm. Right. Like, Maybe I was a queen in a past life and maybe I can like inhabit if I were to dress up for Purim and I were to like really dress up as Queen Esther and inhabit that role of I am above the people because there is something of that in this shadow that I'm describing that, you know, would that temper, like would it give that part of me that does kind of secretly enjoy that role, a place to go, a place to express. Richard Rohr talks about how, from a Christian perspective, from his perspective as a as a Catholic, that you have to hold shadow with the fact that you are loved wholly and completely, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard other people say, just from a more psychological perspective, that it's really important if you are like, oh yeah, I want to kind of dig into my shadow, that you're also holding and remembering your strengths and your that like you said, like the persona isn't bad. Like I don't feel like Mm-mm. I'm being fake. I mean, maybe no. sometimes <laughs> right. I could say, oh, did I really find that joke funny or was I just right? I like the fact that I'm polite. You know, like I enjoy being a polite person. I think yes. I think that's fine. You know, but yeah. it's just like being aware and noticing 
what are the limits of that? Or what are the ways where that goes a little bit too far? And now I'm kind of not being totally honest in a way that's not within my integrity because someone made a racist joke and I didn't say that's not funny, even if I didn't Mm -hmm. laugh at it. Yes. So I think holding yourself in your wholeness, like, yes, I can have what Richard Rohr calls healthy self-criticism, or I would probably just say awareness, like noticing. Mm -hmm. But I have to also notice the good parts and the golden shadow, like those parts that we have disowned that were maybe our creativity, our sensitivity, our, um, like I said, confidence, like these different parts of us that for whatever reason we thought weren't going to be accepted by our family or our our community or society, but that can give us a lot of creativity and power. And mm-hmm. one thing that we do is then sometimes we project that golden shadow onto other people. So the same way that yes. I might project my my darker parts of my shadow onto someone else, I might also project my golden shadow onto someone else. And I think this happens for a lot of people with you, Cheryl. People look at you, and that's why I think it's extra brave and wonderful for you to share in this episode, you know, some of your your shadow thoughts because mm-hmm. a lot of people following you, I think they see you and they go, oh my gosh, Cheryl is so wise and compassionate and calm and centered and she trusts herself and she's decisive and she knows who she is and she just seems to be such a great mother and a great wife and a great friend and Cheryl is perfect and Mm. they just project all of that golden shadow onto you and we do this with I think all sorts of celebrities and public Mm. figures and people that you know, partners or people that we have a crush on, friends, Mm -hmm. all sorts of people that we project that golden shadow onto. Yes. It's such a powerful way to know this other side of shadow, which I think is so important to highlight the, the golden shadow or the term that I first heard from Jeremy Taylor, the dream worker, and was bright shadow. And how when we gaze upon somebody and we we gaze upon them with that sort of in love glowy feeling that we can call a crush or we can call admiration quite often it is bright shadow that we cannot see in somebody else what does not exist inside of our own selves we literally can't see it so whatever anyone is seeing in me lives inside of them or else they wouldn't be able to see it, right? And so it's an interesting conversation around bright shadow also, because I think one really positive thing that's happening in the field of psychotherapy because of social media, and also just because I think the field is really shifting, that there's an old model that says a therapist should be a blank slate, and you should not know one single thing, not literally not one personal thing about your therapist because from the psychoanalytic perspective it then ruins it ruins the whole the whole container that you're supposed to be projecting onto this blank slate and that's how you know you're unconscious in your shadow um, but now we actually know that what really heals in the therapeutic relationship is the relationship itself and that to some degree the therapist has to be a real human being And it's okay to know things. Um, People know a lot more about me now because of this podcast, and they know a lot more about me because I've had a blog for so many years. But now I see it happening because there's all these Instagram therapists and other forms of social media where the persona of I have it all together gets broken down. Like I think it is so amazing and courageous when I see, I only follow a handful of people on Instagram, but when they will share something like, yeah, and I took my medication this morning Mm. and how that breaks down that stigma and that idealization and this idea that therapists are perfect 
right? It's so good. It's so good. And still, it's a fine line. I'm not one to share everything. You know, I still very much value my privacy. There are some things that will always remain private. I'm very judicious and discerning about what I choose to share. Um, But I always also think it's important to be more real because it can be harmful to project an idealized, perfect version of human, of any human onto any other human. That, that, that does not exist. Cheryl is not perfect. <laughs> Far from perfect. But, but I have to admit that my little shadow part <laughs> kind of like jumps up and down. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I have to go, now, now, shadow part. <laughs> <laughs> Like my little girl, it's like this little girl that just, I had to, like everything matched when I was little. My best friend Jessica still laughs, like my rubber bands and I had ribbons and and it matched my my sneakers and my socks. And I was just like such a, I just wanted to be perfect. Yep. You know, just perfect. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, from the time I was little... People have been like, Victoria, you're such an old soul. You're so sweet. You're so polite. You're, you know, yeah. um, you're so nice. And of course, I just want to be like, yeah, that's that's it. That's that's all of it. Nothing else this, to see here. Yeah, <laughs> you got lap it. it up. Lap it up. That's the whole story. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I know that so much discernment has to go into all the choices that therapists make about what they, how they use self-disclosure. But I think that modeling is so important. I feel like the the opposite of projecting your shadow onto someone is maybe looking at, at someone that you really respect and thinking, okay, I know I have some of that quality in me, or I must, but yes. I'm not quite sure how to live it out. Maybe I can I can learn something from certain things that I see modeled, and that's really effective and really helpful. Mm-hmm. But when we only see like a very unrealistic modeling, <laughs> that's yes. that's not helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like the power of our imagination, you know, it can help me to claim those parts of myself to have certain people in my mind that I can kind of tap into in in difficult moments when I'm I'm low on on my own sense of of confidence, say. And then I picture someone and that there's a particular person I, I think about sometimes who is kind of similar in age to me and just has this this like poise and this confidence. Mm. And it's not about copying her. It's about recognizing, oh, I understand enough about that to know what she would do right now, which means mm-hmm. some part of me knows what I want to do right now, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. You're describing this piece really well because it is a little bit tricky. It's like we want to we want to have people that we admire and to recognize that what we are admiring in somebody we can then emulate and model and integrate. And that's the positive use of bright shadow or the gold in the shadow is, you know, even, even celebrities, right? Because Mm -hmm. we do a ton of projecting. Robert Johnson writes about it so well, how much we project our gold onto celebrities, sports figures, but also like a random crush because it comes up a lot in the world of relationship anxiety is, or even a dream figure, right? And where there's a lot of that energy in a dream is to be able to say, this is some aspect of me that I am projecting, that this figure in my dream or this person in life is carrying my own gold. And I am projecting, I am projecting the gold. And how can I harness some of that back inside, back into me? But then there's that tricky point this that can lead to shame if we have an overly idealized version of like oh my gosh i'm losing my patience what would the dalai lama do well you know (laughs) the dalai lama doesn't have two children who are like about to pull each other's hair out at the moment and and one of my favorite quotes from the dalai lama is in his in that book the book of joy where he says 
I wouldn't last five minutes as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We have to hold it so lightly, I think. Like hold it so lightly, the image that we have of someone else, knowing that's actually just the image. It's not yes. It's not even really ne- like necessarily them. It's just the image that we have. So it's like, yeah, it's using your own discernment and holding that image so lightly so that we can use it to our advantage to help us in certain moments without getting like yes. bogged down and feeling like we're not good enough and we're not living up to it because then we just get resentful of that person eventually, I think. Yes. Yes, exactly. Or resentful of ourselves, or we go into that shame spiral, or we think we're just constantly failing. Like, I'm sure Cheryl and her husband never fight. Like, ha, ha. right? <laughs> I mean, I've had people say that to me. I'm like, are you joking? Like, come on. Like, of course we fight. Of course we argue. Like, we do everything everybody else yeah. does. You know, of course I lost my temper at my children, like more times than I can count. So whatever the fantasy is of some perfect mother or some perfect wife or some perfect, that does not exist. And like we're saying at the same time, yes, I really love my life. And yes, I find like tremendous deep peace sitting at my creek and everything that I present is real. There's nothing I'm presenting that's not true. There's nothing I'm presenting that is false. Um, It's just not the whole picture. Yeah. So it's like we all have to find our way if we are sharing of ourselves um, to share in a way that feels, that just feels right and feels like it's an integrity. And then knowing that whatever you are receiving on the other end is a slice. It is a piece of a much fuller picture that you may never know what the fuller picture is, but to just always remind ourselves that there is a whole life. Yes. We can find those ways in our lives to inhabit those shadowy characters, to get to know them first, you know, to be in conversation, to do an active imagination, to, to draw your shadow, to write a poem from your shadow, um, to, to make it a living character, to give it a name, right? I have a lot of clients who name their shadowy, their perfectionist or their inner bitch or their, you know, whoever shows up. It's like, oh, that's so-and-so, and And that person has a name, which is so great. Like you were saying earlier, Victoria, with you and Martin, like to to name it, whatever we can name loses its power, Mm -hmm. right? Like you were saying about Voldemort when we were talking earlier today, Mm -hmm. right? It's like (laughs) what what stays in shadow carries the power. But as soon as you can name it and then giving it a name, making it that much more real, um, you, you're that much closer to discovering some gold in there, some gold that it might be impossible to imagine that a shadowy figure has gold, but it always does. Mm. Always. Yeah. My little shadow ritual that I did one day when I was doing a lot of like people pleasing and like holding space mm. for other people. Mm-hmm. I turned out the lights. I lit two candles. I put on some music. I was like, I'm just going to dance. And I turned around and there was my shadow reflected on the wall <sighs> from the candles. So great. And I I was looking at it and I was like, how can I kind of physically embody like what I'm feeling about the parts of me I was pushing down or that I don't want to see from today? And I was like, well – when I was doing all that people pleasing, it was like that makes me feel big in a way. And I could mm-hmm. like I just kind of spread my arms out and I looked huge on the wall. <laughs> like I'm so important. I'm so yeah, this makes me feel so important because you need me. Mm-hmm. And then I just kind of scrunched down really little, like, okay, the other part of me is that I feel so small because I need mm-hmm. you to make me feel mm-hmm. you know, I need to do this to feel big and important. And then I 
kind of I was dancing like I was like running like I'm just running away from this pain that I don't want to feel you know mm-hmm. and I just managed to really like physically express it it felt really good um so good and I think that 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 gold that I was able to then tap into was kind of feeling like I could be honest with myself and then act with integrity in accordance with my values, you know, and not mm. just reacting. Because um, mm. I, I think like the ritual doesn't really mean anything if you're not then looking at, if you're not also looking at how you want to show up in the smallest ordinary moments in relationship of how you're showing up with people in yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think the ritual still means something, Mm. right? Even if you don't know, even if it doesn't change how you show up, I think it will. Mm. You know where I think that comment from me came from? Maybe came from the part of me that is afraid, is still a little bit afraid of if you play with that shadow part, it'll it'll gain more power and more control. You know, you mm. got to make sure you don't get swept up in it and end up empowering that, mm. that dark <laughs> shadow part or justifying it or feeling mm. amped up about it. Like, yeah, I am a villain. I'm going to go do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, the fear that by naming it, we will act on it. Yeah. Right. And that's the self-trust piece. That's trusting yeah. that 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 won't happen. Yeah. It's actually the opposite. It's more, it's more of what goes unnamed. And again, tricky territory here. It's not that you're going to act out on what's unnamed either. Um, but that it might come out in a more mutated way, not literally, but like an intrusive thought, that that's how an un unnamed shadow, but that when we name it, it actually becomes more tame. Right. It it doesn't it doesn't take over like we fear it will. It's the opposite that happens and it really shrinks down. It becomes right sized. And we we can see through work, and I actually think through therapeutic work, right? Often sitting with a therapist. Um, we can see the wound that lives at the heart of the shadow the wound that's that's so desperately needing our love and our tenderness and our curiosity and our, and our, our holding, our holding of these young parts that sometimes do carry real wound and trauma, sometimes carry unmet needs, sometimes carry attributes, right? It can span the gamut of what lives in shadow. And having relatedness relationship to these parts of ourselves that we pushed down a long time ago, bringing them back from those underground caverns and regions and exposing them to the light and recognizing that there is magic. There is some kind of ecstasy It's a quiet ecstasy. It's a quiet exhilaration that happens when we turn to face these parts and love them and find the joy. I definitely feel that. I feel that joy in learning to find that middle place a little bit of accepting more of my totality and integrating mm-hmm. more and finding that I can trust myself. Like I I really can trust myself to discern my different parts and what I want to do with them. And yes. it's not so scary. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said about doing the work with a therapist, I think it speaks to that idea of keeping the strengths, your strengths in mind and keeping in mind that you are still lovable. And I think that part is really important to underscore. Um, 
I think it's everything, Victoria, right? We can't really dip down into these shadowy places that can sometimes feel dark, even if they're not, if we're not rooted in that place of our essential goodness in those places of strength, of knowing that we are lovable and worthy and good exactly as we are. And from that foundation, then we can dip in and come back out. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Cheryl. If people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. <laughs>